0: of god had been in exile they're coming home to jerusalem they see the steps leading into the temple and as they ascend each one they pray and give praise to god they teach us how to pray and praise god in difficult times join us for this series every wednesday night six o'clock Tonight, uh, we turn our attention as we make our way through the Psalms of Ascent to Psalm 127. Psalm 127 and 128 belong together. They are a matching pair, if you will. We will look at Psalm 128 next week and, of course, Psalm 127 tonight. Psalm 127 is familiar to many of us, so let me read it, and let me pray, and then we will begin our reflection together on Psalm 127, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is filled with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Father, we gather tonight once again under your word. We never gather over your word. Uh, We don't even gather around your word as if we're at some kind of holy campfire where the understanding of your word requires input from everybody around the campfire. There's only one fire that we need and must have in order to interpret rightly your word, and that's the fire of the Holy Spirit that works in our hearts, but not only in our hearts, but through our minds as our minds are more and more informed by your word, as our minds are more fashioned and formed by your word, we have a greater, deeper sense of the truth, the majestic truth of your word. And so I thank you, Lord, that when we open your word, we're, we're not uh, just sharing input into your word from our various perspectives. We're gathering under it. And we're asking you, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit to speak the truth of your word into our hearts and into our minds and into our lives so that its impact might not be just knowledge. We want to know your word, but it might be that we would know you and that we would know you more fully so that we can love you more fully and serve you more faithfully. So teach us tonight, God, by your Holy Spirit. We do pray for Joyce and John, uh, particularly tonight, and ask that you would be near them, and we uh, do pray your blessings on them. Give them strength and grace and peace, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to uh, talk about Psalm 127 under the heading, Faithfulness and fruitfulness. Uh, The Bible never separates faithfulness and fruitfulness. If we truly come to faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus will so live in us that fruit will be produced. The theological way of talking about this and I will talk about it some at the beginning of the sermon on, this, on Sunday, theologically, uh, not to impress people with theological terms or not to fill up space with theological language, but I believe the language is important and the terms are important because they're terms that have been used throughout the history of the church and there have been various interpretation of these terms. Here's the theological language you and I are justified with God by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are sanctified by God as he works in us through his spirit and by his word to form and to fashion us to make us more and more like Jesus. A justification, that theological word, has to do with the beginning of our following Jesus. We begin to follow Jesus as Lord when we are brought to life from death through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, when we hear the gospel, I mean really hear the gospel, and God through his Holy Spirit begins to stir in us, and we feel this urging, this longing, this ache, this gnawing, this irresistible call from God to turn from our sins and to trust Jesus. The Bible calls that regeneration or being born again or more correctly, being born from above. And then when we turn in faith, When we turn from our sin and we declare that Jesus alone is Lord. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I bow before you as Lord. Jesus, I want to follow you. Whatever language you use, what you know in your heart is that you're turning from your sin. You're turning from the way uh, you are shaping your life to Jesus. And you're saying, Jesus, I'm yours. In that moment, in a wonderfully mysterious way, the God of heaven, the God who created everything that is, the almighty God, the awesome God, the sovereign God, judicially, as if you were in a law court standing before a judge, and you are guilty before this judge, and you have no hope, you're under the sentence of the law, and you should be condemned, you should receive capital punishment for your offense." and the judge looks at you and pronounces you forgiven because there is someone else in the courtroom, in this case, it is the judge's son who willingly, voluntarily, lovingly, and graciously takes your place and takes the punishment in your behalf that you deserve so that you can be set free. Free from your crime, free from its consequences, free from its guilt and all of its shame because of what someone else has done for you. And based on what that someone else has done for you, the judge, the judge of the universe, the God of all creation, the sovereign of the world, pronounces you innocent forever, set free from the guilt of your sin and the shame of your sin and the eternal consequences of your sin that's justification but whenever you are justified the work of sanctification begins immediately the son has set you free and if the son sets you free the son says about himself if the son sets you free you're free indeed you're really free free for what Uh, Free to belong to God so that God can begin to work in your life, in your life, through your life, as you join your life with others who have been acquitted or justified to form and to fashion you into one who is fruitful. Your faithfulness to God and turning to Jesus to save you always leads to fruitfulness for God because God is at work in you to produce that kind of of fruitfulness. It is all of God. It is from God. It is by God. It is through God. And it's all for the glory of God. And there's something, uh, there's something about us humans that we don't like that. We want a way of being right with God that requires us, demands us to do something. And that's something in all of us that causes us not to like the sovereign act of God in saving us and the sovereign act of God in sanctifying us. That something is called pride. We want to be saved because we don't want to go to hell. But we want to hold on to our lives. Uh, We want to hold on to our wills. We want to hold on to our control. That's the essence of human sin. I the Greek word for I is ego. Epsilon gamma omega. Brought over in English, E G O. Ego. Now spell the word pride, P R I, D, E. Five letters. What's at the very middle? The focal point of pride is I, ego. And what happens when we are born again through the Spirit of God, when we are declared to be right with God and we yield our lives to Jesus as Lord, do you know what happened? I dies. And then from that moment forward, we have to put I to death every day. That's why Paul says, I I die daily. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives through me, in me, daily. Pride Keeps us from the fullness of life that could be ours in Jesus Christ. Pride keeps us from that deeply abiding peace that is ours in Jesus. I believe pride keeps us from joy because where joy is, there is no I. We've given ourselves to Jesus as Lord and we're living in the fullness of the joy that is ours that comes to us in Jesus Christ. I shared this at Alex's funeral that C.S. Lewis wrote the book Mere Christianity. It was among the first books I ever read as a Christian. I had no idea who C.S. Lewis was. It was a little paperback, so it was short. I had just become a Christian. I had some sense of what the word mere meant. It had to do with the fundamentals, the basics, and I needed the fundamentals or the basics of Christianity. And So I picked up the book and read it, and it had a significant shaping influence on my life. But in that book... C.S. Lewis talks about pride. And he says about pride that when it's present in us, it it causes us to exalt ourselves. Now listen to this. It causes us to exalt ourselves by putting others down. We exalt ourselves in that close-knit network of people that we like, (laughs) and why do we like them? Because they're like us. And those who are not like us, that we do not like, we put beneath us. And when people you do not like that are not like you are beneath you, when you look up, there's no one beyond you, no one above you. You're living for yourself. And you're supported in living for yourself by those around you who are living in the same kind of pride in which you are living. Now you may, you may speak about the sovereignty of God, but God is not really sovereign. God can't be sovereign and you be in charge. You speak about wanting to walk in humility, but you're so full of yourself that you can't walk in humility. You want to depend on God. You really do want to depend on God. but there are some things in your life you think you can handle by yourself. All of that's pride. And along comes a song, a, a psalm like Psalm 127 it, it kind of kind of slaps us in the face a little uh, because when we're living in pride, When we're in charge of life, we can get life turned upside down. We can get priorities all out of whack. This psalm is about faithfulness, and it's about faithfulness in two areas, It's about faithfulness in life in general, and it's about faithfulness in the life of a family. Faithfulness in life in general, faithfulness in the family. Faithfulness in life in general is addressed in verses 1 through 2. Faithfulness in the family is addressed in verses 3 through 5. There's a key word in the opening verses. You heard it when we read it. It's the word vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Three times we have the word vain. And three times it's tied to not only aggressive activity, it's tied to the kind of activity that often, if we're honest, constitutes life for so many people in the world. There are three kinds that are mentioned here, three kinds of people. There are those who build the city those who make the city work. I think you know enough about the Bible that you know that God is not making a case here for laziness. He's not saying to us, well, just go ahead and be lazy. You don't have to work. You don't have to really do anything. That's not what he's doing. But he's saying that the city is built by God. God is sovereign over the city. God is sovereign over every activity in life. I don't have to tell you that today is the inauguration of the 46th president of the United States of America. And most of the people who would listen to uh, this teaching on a Wednesday night would not be excited about this particular inauguration But do you believe in God's sovereignty over this, that this is the unfolding of the ultimate and infinite plan and purpose of the almighty God? Do you believe that? Unless the Lord builds the city, those who build it labor in vain. Because why? Because it's going to come to nothing. It will come to ruin. It will not last. Then he turns to those who defend the city, not only those who build the city, but those who defend the city. In this case, it is the watchman on the wall. They were stationed there during the watches of the night, and they looked across the landscape for approaching enemies. When they saw them coming, they sounded the alarm, and the soldiers gathered at the gate to meet the hordes that were coming to the city. Lest the Lord watches over the city. The watchman is on the wall in vain. You can have all kinds of missiles. You can have all kinds of technology. You can have all kinds of access to all kinds of equipment to defend the city. You can have the strongest, tallest, deepest, widest gates. And unless the Lord defends it, the city will fall. And then he turns to those aggressive people, those industrious types who are up early in the morning and beyond the sunset, even into late night. It is vain that you rise up early and go to late rest, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Oh, you're working hard and you're giving everything you got to your vocation. So much so that you don't have time to eat. And when you eat, you're thinking about the next project or the next deadline or the next assignment or whatever it might be. You're so focused on getting to that place in life that will be the place of success. that you can't even enjoy a meal. And yet at the end of this, he's talking about people that are focused on building the city and defending the city and then prospering from this defended city and this growing city, God says he gives his beloved sleep. Isn't it amazing? It is to me at least that sleep An ability to sleep is a measure of trust. Sometimes we can't sleep because our hearts and minds are crowded with all the wrong things. Sometimes we need help sleeping because it's not a head problem. It's a heart problem. We can't sleep because our hearts are so disturbed by what's going on in our lives that We know we're not really trusting God and not being faithful to God and not following him as we should and living as he would desire us to live. And so few people know it. And we're so full of ourselves and our pride. We can't talk about it because the truth is we want people to see us and to know us as we present ourselves to them, not as we really are. They might not like us. How are you living? What are you focused on? What consumes your time and your energy? What should? You know, this psalm represents a flip-flop. Here's the world. Look at it. The world's focus on building the city, defending the city, aggressively pursuing our place in life. That's first. But what should be first? Well, he tells us, behold, verse three, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb. They are a reward. First command that God gave to Adam and Eve was what? Be fruitful and Multiply. Now, I'm in a minority because I recognize this command of God as two commands, not one. And I could be dead wrong, and I'm willing to be dead wrong on this one, but I think the fruitful has to do with productivity for the glory of God. Laziness is a sin. Being productive for the right reasons and purposes to the glory of God is a virtue. Be fruitful, I think, means to do your work and work hard and produce fruit for the glory of God, for the advance of the kingdom. Multiply, well, it's obvious what it means. Produce babies, make children. Add to the population. Now, they're a heritage from the Lord. Again, if I can go back to remind you that uh, the day is Inauguration Day, and it's an Inauguration Day of, uh, what could be the beginning of the most anti Christian, anti moral agenda in at least the history of the 20th and 21st century in America? The LGBTQT agenda will be poured down our throats like never before. The Equality Act that will soon be in place. Threats to religious liberty like we've never seen before. Churches and pastors under the gun. That's coming. It's coming more quickly than most of us even want to think about knowing. And yet in the midst of this, you want a sign of hope? Here's a sign of hope. The greatest number of children being born in America right now are being born to conservative, evangelical, biblically faithful Christians who are being taught for the most part by their parents and being raised up as warriors for the kingdom. I, for the most part, probably will be in heaven when they come to adulthood, but they represent hope. They represent hope for our future. A whole band of faithful warriors who will either be used of God to bring revival to this land or we will see them fully persecuted if we continue down our current course. But here's the point. Children are a gift from God and they're a heritage from the Lord and we are to pour into them and to give to them what they need to be faithful to God. They are not only a heritage and a reward, God says they're warriors. Uh, Equip them for the battle. Friends, what are we doing in the church when we think that what we're to do with our children is to make sure they're having great fun and being entertained and we stimulate them and titillate them and excite them and energize them? Thank God for Awana. Thank God that we have an upwards ministry that is pouring into these kids the word of God. And we take young people and we want to hold them by doing things that will draw them in like a carrot rather than just saying, look, we're here to open this book and to teach God's word. And those who are lost will be turned away because the word of God is a judge. We need warriors. We need warriors. We need to raise up warriors who will go into the battle and will fight. Blessed is the man, the man, the father, the dad, the husband, who fills his quiver with these children that he's equipping to be warriors. Now, I want you to look at this last line because it's so important. I want you to think about it with me because it's not there just to be there because they needed a space filler. He shall not, He this dad who's raising up these warriors, who's in his home opening the Bible and teaching his children the word of God and teaching doctrine to them, teaching them about who God is and Jesus and who the Holy Spirit is and what the Trinity is, how to be saved by the grace of God, how to come to faith in Jesus, how to live in the world as faithful Followers of Jesus, the stab will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. You know what this says? Well, first of all, you need to know what the gate meant. The gate was the public gathering place where the men gathered to talk often to make decisions, but just to talk. It was McDonald's, the huddle house, the gas station. It was the gathering place before the men strapped on their rifles and went hunting for deer in the morning. And this man, who shows up at this place will have enemies. He won't be like most men and he will not be and he will not be liked by most men. And dad, and I pray their dad's listening. Oh my, I made so many, so many mistakes as a father. I got so caught up in the world. It's one of my biggest regrets. I wanted our 2 to be like everybody else in the world. I wanted them to be popular. I wanted them to be academically successful, athletically successful. I got caught up in all the wrong things. All the wrong things. Oh, we had fun. We traveled from place to place. We. That I didn't raise up warriors like I wanted to raise up warriors. Real warriors for God. I didn't have enemies in the gate, I had friends. And I have some guilt, I do. But this man who raises up children to fight the battle of faith He'll have enemies, but he won't have any shame. Where I stand today, I would rather have lots of enemies of this earth than to stand before God in shame because I failed to fulfill my responsibilities. Oh, you can build all the cities you want to. You can defend all the cities you want to. You can be aggressive in your career and raise yourself up to the Very top of the ladder, but if you fail in your family. Oh God, help us. Father, thank you for this time together. These words are confrontative. They are. They cause me, they cause me, whether they cause anybody else, to thank you for the greatness of your grace and to ask for the wonder again of your great mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.